Galatians chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Let's again bow in prayer before God's word. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that we can open your word on this Sunday morning. And we just uh, pray for your blessing on the reading of this word, and especially on uh, Pastor Bob as he brings the message this morning, that you'll open our hearts, Father, that uh, we will dig into this treasure of, of being adopted, and Father, this is something that, uh, that we don't consider nearly enough. We just praise you for it, Father, this in the precious name of our Savior, alone we pray, amen. Amen. I want to look at two main points uh, this morning. First of all, the transaction of our adoption, and then secondly, the benefits of our adoption. Last Lord's Day, we, we looked at a, a few more of those benefits, uh, which were, one, that we are adopted as sons, and why it is that Scripture reminds us that as sons, we are adopted, and all that that entails, and all that that encompasses, that we are not adopted as children, although Scripture will use that language to identify us, there is a particular reason and focus why as sons. Secondly, we looked at the benefit that we have not just a, the, this outward change, but there is an inward change. We are given the spirit of Christ. We are given the spirit of the Father. Something that in our earthly adoptions is never able to be accomplished. We, we can't do that in our transaction. We, we can't give to our adopted child our spirit, but God does. And the third benefit that we had last Lord's Day is that we were invited to his table. We have a right to sit at that table and to enjoy the table that the Lord has indeed given to us. So for those of you perhaps who didn't catch last Lord's Day, you, you might want to get a hold of that sermon so you, you see the, all the benefits that, that are coming to us out of this passage. But it's necessary for us to begin with the transaction of our adoption. Even though Paul has dealt with this, even though we've covered it as we've gone through the book of Galatians, it's necessary to do so. One, because let us suppose someone without this first point, if someone were to perhaps go to our Little Farms website or someone were to order the CD of this sermon, or if someone were here, who is without Christ, and we were to only hear the benefits that we have as being adopted into 
God's family as his sons. If we only hear that side of it and don't understand the basis or the transaction of it, then we truly would have become simply a a liberal church. We would have become, in a sense, a, a church that no longer preaches sin and the necessity of Christ and the bloodshed of Christ for our sin. And we certainly don't want that to happen. We don't want those who, who perhaps would hear a message to, such as this in particular where we're focused on all the wonderful blessings that we have as God's children to forget what it is that gives us those benefits. We certainly would not want someone who is without the gospel, without Christ, to not hear and to know what it is that gives us our assurance and comfort as Christians. But we also need that reminder every week as well. That it's not just the fact that we have this great assurance and these blessings as God's people. We need to be reminded daily, weekly, hourly of the fact that that the standing that we have is because of the great transaction that has taken place. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 covers this as well. If you have your Bibles open, let me let let's go to this passage because here again he uses the I, idea of adoption as it comes to us, but but he, he's writing to the Ephesians in a, in a different circumstance, a different setting based upon a, a different need that is there. And and I just wanted to have you hear how central this is to the Christian's philosophy, to the Christian's theology of life. Pick it up, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See, that's what we're getting. Every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. Now let me point out what what Paul is pointing to here. This whole adoption that Paul is now speaking of here in Galatians chapter 4 is not a momentary decision on the part of God. This is not just an emotional decision. Now we, we live in a day and age in which, thanks be to God, adoption carries with it a much more positive light than it did when I was a child growing up. Today, it's, it, it's, it's placed in a very positive way. But there are also those who adopt only to get on a bandwagon. It's like, well, everybody else is doing it. Three people in my church are doing it. So, you know, they're sort of the Ananias and Sapphira sort of of the New Testament. I'm going to adopt just because I want to be like everybody else, not out of some heart of compassion. Now, certainly that doesn't happen a lot and often. But you see sometimes and wonder sometimes, do they really want to do this? 
It's, it's as it were a momentary, a spur of the moment decision that is made without weighing all of the consequences. God weighed the consequences. God knew what it meant to adopt us. And he had that plan of our adoption even before he created the world. And he knew the cost was going to be his only son. That's why Paul wrote there in Ephesians 1 that we are adopted as sons through Christ Jesus. That's the way in which our adoption comes. That's the transaction. That's what's necessary. It is necessary that Christ make it possible for us to be adopted. What is that transaction? Well, we can summarize it in two points. One, Christ takes on my sin and I am given Christ's righteousness. That's the transaction that makes it possible for you and I to be adopted as God's sons. Christ takes my sin. I am given Christ's righteousness. Refer back to the hymn we just sang. Think about these words. I, I know for many of you, it, it was the first time through, so you're, you're, you're thinking of the music and am I singing the right word at the time? And maybe you weren't focused necessarily on the words. See, the song fits what we're saying here. Listen, his robes for mine, a wonderful exchange, the transaction, clothed in my sin. Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. Wonderful exchange. That's the transaction that makes it possible for me to be a child of God. Or as it's stated in verse 2, his robes for mine. What cause have I to dread God's daunting law Christ mastered in my stead. That's what we've been at in Galatians, right? The whole of the law that no one can fulfill. We're only under a curse. But Christ mastered in my place. Faultless I stand with righteous works not mine. Saved by my Lord's vicarious death and life. His robes for mine. God's justice is appeased. The transaction. See, I'm not, I'm not adopted freely. Oh, it's free grace that's given to me. But God's justice still needs to be appeased. Jesus is crushed. And thus the Father pleased. Christ drank God's wrath on sin, then cried, tis done. Sin's wages paid. Propitiation won. His robes for mine, such anguish none can know. Christ... God's beloved, condemned as though his foe. I am adopted, as Paul said in Ephesians 1, through Christ. God knew the price that this adoption was going to cost. We don't know that, do we? Oh, we might if we go through some adoption agencies when, when we you know, do, do our human adoptions. There might be a price tag. There, there might be a dollar figure that has to be paid. But we don't really know the price, do we? We don't really know what this is going to cost us in terms of our hearts. 
in terms of our energy, in terms of our life. But God did. God knew the cost. The cost of his son. He, as though I, accursed and left alone. I, as though he, embraced and welcomed home to my father. I cling to Christ and marvel at the cross. Jesus forsaken. God estranged from God. Bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all, shall be for Christ alone. All the benefits that we speak of in our adoption came at a cost. I cannot, by nature, be God's child. cannot be adopted by him. A holy God can never adopt a sinful child. A holy God of whom the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. A holy God can only adopt holy children. And I can be made holy, not through my works, not through my obedience to the law. As the Spirit, through Paul, has been pointing out verse after verse after verse in Galatians. My adoption can only be through Christ. His blood makes me holy. Justified by faith in Christ alone. Now, I can speak about the benefits of what it means to be a child of God. As I mentioned last Lord's Day, we highlighted three. Let me re-emphasize three others this morning. One, one of the benefits of my adoption is I have a new name. In Romans chapter 3, if you turn to that passage a moment, Romans chapter 3. Actually, the book of Romans is a good corollary to read along with Galatians. Paul is working in, in Romans, perhaps in an expanded form, uh, the outworking of this theology. In Romans chapter 3, beginning as we do in, at that verse 9 of Romans 3. Paul begins to lay out the case of what we are. Right? He, he lays out for Jew and Gentile alike. Whether you have the law or weren't raised under the law. Whether you had those ceremonial laws and judicial laws and moral laws. Or whether you didn't. The case is made by Paul that all are alike. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. See, I had a name. My name was Sinner. That's my name. That's what I was. That's who I was. That's my identity. 
I and you had a name. We are sinners, none righteous, no, not one. There is only sin and sin only that keeps resounding over and over and over again in our minds, in our thoughts, our works of commission, those things we do that violate God's law, those works of, those sins of omission, those things we fail to do to keep God's law. They're just abundant. Over and over and over again. I am a sinner, but I am given a new name. But now, Paul writes, a righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. To everyone who believes, we have been given a new name. Sinner was our old name. Our new name? Romans chapter 1, verse 1. To all the saints that are in Rome. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. To all the saints that are in Philippi. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. To all the saints that are in Colossae. Ephesians chapter 1. To all the saints that are in Ephesus. New name. Paul's not writing to dead people, is he? That'd be strange. Why would you write a letter to dead people? It's the way some denominations would look at it. Some churches would look at it this way. Well, you can only be a saint if you're dead. Well, what a useless thing for Paul to have done. Write all those letters to dead people that they can never read. Obviously, Paul does not think of them as dead. Why? Because saints are living. Saints are alive. These were individual people who were saints. How? Through this glorious transaction. Through Christ who took on their sin and who now are clothed in Christ's righteousness to all who believe, who put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are given the right of a new name. That's what our adoption means. Being adopted means your name changes. And in particular, your last name changes with an adoption. Bob Sinner becomes Bob Saint. You put your own name in there as a believer. Our name changes. We 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 the name changes because it changes our identity. That's what God does throughout Scripture. Abram, now you're going to be Abraham. Jacob, now you're going to be Israel. Saul, no, you're going to be Paul. Simon, no, you're going to be Peter. Sinner, no, you're going to be saint. This is what you and I have the right and privilege to. Think of this from God's perspective for a moment. God sends forth his son to die the cruel death upon the cross, taking upon himself our sin, 
as the hymn said, God estranged from God. Why have you forsaken me? God does all of that so that you and I can stand before him and acknowledge and confess that we are saints. What must it sound like to the Father? That we become unwilling to think of ourselves that way, to acknowledge ourselves that way, and to only think of ourselves as a sinner. Then what was the point of sending my son? If I have not adopted you and given you a new name, why did I send my son to die for you then? See, part of the problem in the church is that we don't live our new identity. We don't live our new name. We keep living in the past, therefore we have an excuse and we excuse ourselves for our sins. Instead of moving on into the glory that God would have in store for us. So we really don't move out boldly because we're still sinners, you know, poor sinners. Oh, horrible sinners. Yeah, that's what we are, horrible sinners. And God keeps saying, no, no, no. I sent you my son. There's been a transaction, a glorious exchange. His robes for mine. So that you have a new name. Now certainly, my friends, not out of a sense of pride do we claim this. Certainly with a sense of humility. With an understanding of grace. Start thinking and living of yourself in the identity by the name God has given to you. You are a saint. Anyone washed in the blood of Christ is a saint. That's my right is being adopted. Secondly, not only do I have a new name, I have a new family as well. In Romans chapter 5, Paul builds the case of the fact that this sin nature that we had is tied up in Adam. That in Adam, we sin. Yeah, at one time, my father was Adam. At one time, all of us in this room, and perhaps some of you still have Adam as your father. He's your father not only in terms of biology, not only in terms of genetics, he's your father in terms of sin. It is from him that you got your sinful nature. It is from him that original sin arises. When you were conceived, you were conceived in sin, as David said. When you were born, you were born in sin, as David said. You were in your father, Adam. Jesus even went on when he dealt with some of the religious leaders to say they were of their father, the devil. But you see now, 
Now you have a new family. You just don't have a new name. See, it's like you have been, oh, what term would we use to describe this? It's like you've been born again. Like we've hit the restart, the reset. And it's begun all over again with a new father. A new father who has brought you to life. A new father who now gives you his name. A new father who now gives you the right and privilege to address him as father. You're still in Romans. Go to Romans chapter 8. Here, here, here in Romans 8, Galatians 4 once again. It's resounding over and over. Romans 8, pick it up at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, there's that, that idea of that spirit again that we have been given. So that we have the right and privilege to cry, Abba, Father. The spirit that works within our hearts, that convicts us of sin, that turns us to, in faith to Christ. That born again, born again in the sense that the old is gone. It is as if it never existed. See, that's what justification is. Justification is not us going to the prison house because of the crimes we committed and there we sit for 40 years and then after 40 years we get released and all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm free. Yeah, but you're still a convict. You're still a felon. You still committed the crime. You still did the act. You still did the deed. Justification is, it's gone. It's as if I had never sinned. In Christ, who takes on that sin, the sin is gone. My Father is a heavenly Father. My Father is the Lord. My Father is not Adam, nor is yours. been born again by the spirit of adoption so that we have the right not to look at Adam and say yeah that's my father yeah living with my father Adam no we now look at our heavenly father that's our father that's our family and as we look around that becomes our brothers and sisters as well. See, we have a new family. 
Thirdly, not only a new name, not only a new family, but I have a new inheritance. In Romans chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes the following. Romans 2.12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. In Romans 5, he uses the idea of condemnation, judgment. My inheritance was eternal death. In my father Adam, in my previous name of sinner, before I was adopted, I was going to experience an eternal damnation in hell. It's what I had to look forward to. That's what was coming. Death, the grave, hell for eternity. But I've been adopted. My name's written down. See, I have a new inheritance. Rather than that eternal death, I now have eternal life. Listen to Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1. I had the opportunity a number of years ago now to, to use this as he requested it as the sermon for, for Tim Stroven's father. And what a beautiful passage it is to reflect upon, upon our death, but even more beautiful to reflect upon our life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. To what? To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. What do I have because I've been born again? I have an inheritance. Verse 4, that is imperishable undefiled, and unfading. My inheritance of eternal life is imperishable. It is guarded. It is protected. It is stored. It's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6, 19. Thieves can't break in and take it. Nothing can rob me, right? right? Nothing can steal me from my Father's hand. John chapter 10. Jesus' own words. Nothing can take away this salvation. Nothing can ever intervene legally, emotionally, theoretically to cancel out my adoption. Nothing can change the fact that Christ shed his blood for me. Nothing can change that. And because nothing can change that, the eternal life that is being kept by God himself, guarded, protected, nothing can break through it. Nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever alter that. Tremendous blessing it is to be adopted.
I have an inheritance. That no shyster lawyer can somehow wiggle away from me. That no incorrigible brother or sister can somehow manipulate and get it away from me. That no government entity can stick its hands in and dig deep and withdraw that which it desires. It's kept imperishable. My adoption means that my inheritance of eternal life not only is imperishable, but Peter uses the term, it is undefiled. It is kept holy, pure. It is never tainted. It is never Never diminished in that sense. That eternal life of holiness, of beauty, of purity will always be that. Remember Jesus' words again, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Not only where thieves can break in and destroy, but where rust can corrupt. Think of this. Think of, think, give, let me give you this illustration. Okay? Suppose that you know, your, your father is a, was a great collector of automobiles. Just had the finest fleet in the world. But he didn't let anybody see them. Kept them in a barn. Kept them in storage. Man, he refurbished them. Man, they, you know, he had them estimated at one time they were worth $5 million. But he kept them in a barn. There they were. Never drove them. Never did anything else. Your mother's already passed on. Now your father dies. You're the only child. Left you in his will or in his trust. You get all my vehicles and you go, great, isn't this wonderful? You open up the barn door. And you find out that the barn door had been leaking for the last 25 years. And all of those vehicles are just covered with rust. Yeah. Now i got to pay somebody to haul them away. Now they're gone. Now they're basically worthless. Now i got to expend money to get rid of them. Some of you have probably been there. Not into that extreme, but you've been there. Our inheritance of eternal life is undefiled. No rust. Nothing of rust. Nothing of physical, nothing of spiritual rust can ever erode that eternal life. That's part of my inheritance because I'm adopted by my Father through Jesus Christ. Peter used three words. Not only is it an imperishable, not only is it undefiled, but it is also unfading. It never lessens. You ever go to on a trip somewhere? Where, where you saw something for the first time, maybe some great and grand sight, maybe, you know, like Niagara Falls, or maybe you went and saw Tequanawam Falls, or maybe you've been to, uh, oh, let's say Mount Rushmore, or maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon. You know, when you're there the first time, it's like, wow, these things are incredible. Go there the second time, a few years later, you go, you know, it just doesn't quite seem as big as it was. You go there 10 years later, and it's like, well, yeah, it's pretty nice, but 
I remember a little differently as a kid. You go there 50 years later, and you're like, well, yeah, big deal. Big hole in the ground, looks to me. You know, sometimes things, when we, we get so used to them that we see them over and over and over again, we go, yeah, big deal. Remember when, think about this, think about whenever you've, you've had a visitor, for example, from another country come and see snow. Never seen it before. They're like, wow, snow. Remember the kids from Costa Rica last year? Snow! We're like, yeah, snow. Our inheritance is unfading. It will never be, oh, eternal life. Year 10,500, yep, eternal life. It is always joy. It's always like the first day, the first sight. You probably know of an individual or two who has inherited a sizable portion of money. Over the course of time, they spent it down. Now they got nothing left. Friends, you can't spend down eternal life. No moth will ever erode the beauty of life forever with our Father. I'm adopted. And what a blessing it is that His robes have been exchanged for mine. Amen? Amen. Father, again, we do thank you for the glorious riches of Christ that are poured out upon us in our adoption. And again, Father, we, we've just but scratched a surface here. There's so much more to, to truly think on and reflect upon about that which we are and that which we will have. For yet, Father, even your word reminds us that yet we, eager, we groan inwardly awaiting our adoption as sons. So, Father, if this is what we already have, what must yet be to come? Only that, Father, which we shall understand in glory. And the rights and privileges that will be ours as your children. That, Father, even here upon earth we can't even comprehend, but there, there. We shall not only comprehend, we shall experience all the beauty and all the wonder and all. Thank you for a transaction in the blood of Christ. That each of us who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior can say, I'm adopted. What a glorious designation. In Christ's name, amen.